Yeah, well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you made it to church. Way to go. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online around the country and world. Always glad that you can join us, and we know that you're out there, and this is your connection to us and us to you, so welcome as well. I was on a little vacation break uh, to get ready for the spring uh, run here at church, an Easter run. And I don't know if you've noticed, but God has been doing some really incredible things at our church. We've had several weekends of Record attendance recently of just under 25,000 people on a weekend. Our online church is growing rapidly. Student ministries is incredibly unbelievable, historic levels of kids who are coming to our campuses. And last weekend, last weekend, the number of people who were baptized was 983. Can you believe that? 983 people. I mean, there are churches around our country and world who would celebrate if there would just be one or two or five or ten, but 983 people declared publicly, in a public way, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I just want to say, if, if you were one of those 983, I am so proud of you. I've been praying for you all week long that this will be a new beginning in your life. So way to go. Today I get to continue our series in Romans called The New You. Because when you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, that's just the beginning of learning how to live a new life. The Bible says the old life is gone, the new life has come. So this old life of sin and death is completely gone, and a new life has come. One of the reasons we chose to focus on Romans 6 through 8 is because every verse in Romans 6 through 8 is just packed with meaning. Paul wrote it about. 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what he's saying in Romans, he's saying, now that you're a follower of Christ, if you've made that decision, what does that mean for you? What does it really look like to follow Jesus in your daily life? And one of the questions I have of myself is this. If the old life is gone, then why do I still struggle with sin? For example, Paul says this. He says, you've been set free from sin. Well, no, I haven't. I mean, just ask my wife. She'll tell you. Ask my kids or my colleagues. I still struggle with sin. If I'm completely free, why do I still get angry sometimes? Or jealous or selfish or afraid. If the old life is gone, why do I still battle it? And what's really scary for me is sometimes I'm not even aware of my sin at times. A few years ago, I was on a hunting trip to South Dakota, and on the second day, I got sprayed by a skunk. One of the dogs was on point. I, I thought it was, he was pointing a, a, a bird, so I ran up to flush it. And before I could dispatch the skunk, it nailed me with a glancing blow, and I just reeked badly. But what's amazing is after a few more hours of hunting, I kind of got used to it. <laughs> Didn't even notice that I stunk. Well, later that night, I was in my Super 8 hotel room, high society, when suddenly the hotel owner's wife unlocked my door and barged right into my room. Didn't knock or anything, just burst in my room and said, you stink. You smell like a skunk. It's stinking up our hotel. You got to do something about those clothes. I could have been buck naked. She couldn't have cared less. So I took my clothes outside and piled them in the back of the pickup truck to air out. And then I came back in, scrubbed myself clean, head to toe in a shower, thought the problem was solved. An hour later, my hunting partner came into my room and said, man, you still stink. I said, honestly, I can't smell it. I said, I have no, you know, I, really, I can't, I can't believe that. I had gotten so used to the smell. 
I could no longer detect it. Other people could, but I couldn't. And gang, that can happen with a sinful habit or pattern in our life. We can get so used to that habit that we no longer see it for what it is. Can't smell it. It's the same in our culture, isn't it? I mean, we've gotten so used to some things that we once said were wrong and destructive that we can no longer smell how bad some of this is. I don't want to live that way. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the only guy in the hotel who can't smell how bad I am. So one of the questions I just want to raise for you today is, how's your life smell these days? Is there anything in the corner kind of just, you know, stinking up your life or your home or your family? Paul said, now that you're a Christian, he said, the old life is gone, a new life has come, but the reality in my life is the old life isn't completely gone. I mean, the lingering smell of anger, greed, pride, selfishness is still there. So what did Paul mean actually when he said, the old life is gone? What did he mean by that? Well, there are some things that are actually gone. Being separated from God is gone. Ephesians 2 says, at one time you were separated from God, but you no longer are. You're not separated. The penalty for sin is gone. When Christ died on the cross, he He bore the full penalty for our sin and paid for them there. We still sin at times. If you're a Christian, you still sin at times. But the penalty is gone. We're not going to be penalized eternally for that. Bondage for, for sin is gone. We no longer have to be slaves. Our old self was crucified with him so that we should no longer, here's the key word, No longer be slaves to sin. We still sin at times. We still fail. But we don't have to be in bondage or slavery to it. And finally, eternal death is gone. We're going to live eternally in heaven someday if we're in Christ. The Bible says if we've been united with Jesus in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. So all of these things are gone. Being separated, the penalty, the bondage, eternal death is completely gone. What isn't gone is our tendency to sin because of our sinful human nature. We all have a nature that is natural to us. We have a nature that's natural. We are all naturally selfish, every one of us, whether you're a Christian or not. We are all naturally greedy. We all want the best spot. We are naturally lustful and vindictive, and we were born that way. You know, the prevailing thought in society is that we are basically good, But the Bible teaches that we are all born bad. And if you have kids, you understand that entirely. I mean, they come out of the chute just born bad, right? We we are naturally, the Bible says, we are naturally drawn to sin, but because of Jesus and the power that we have in him, we don't have to be controlled by sin. Romans 6 says it this way, don't let sin control you. We still fail at times, but don't let it control you. Don't give in to its desire. So we're drawn to sin, but we don't have to give in to it. Where my wife, Laurie, and I were vacationing, there's lots of grapefruit trees uh, in people's yards, and I love grapefruit, so whenever we go on our walks while we're on vacation, I'm just constantly looking for low-hanging fruit on these grapefruit trees that I can grab and take home, but it drives my wife nuts, drives her insane. And you can feel the tension on our walk. I'll see a grapefruit coming, you know, and she'll say, are you going to do that? You don't do that? And I'm just drawn to these trees. Now, most people actually want you to take their grapefruit because it messes up their yard. So I'm actually doing them a favor. Okay. 
uh, and I usually do get permission, but my wife is a rule keeper, and that's great. I'm kind of loosey-goosey. She's a rule keeper. So we have this ongoing debate on our walks whether fruit that's hanging over someone's fence is private or public. <laughs> you know, I figure if it's hanging over the fence, it's public, free for the taking, but she gets steaming mad, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> Whenever I grab one, she just boils over. She begins chirping away at me, and then she brings God into it. The last, <laughs> the last time it happened, she's, what do you think God thinks of that? And I said, well, I think God could care less about that. She said, I can't believe it. You just lied about God, and I just laughed. And then it made her even more mad. She says, you're going to hell. <laughs> so she said, my wife told me. Now, she doesn't really believe that, I hope. <laughs> but the point is, gang, I am naturally drawn to grapefruit trees. My radar is constantly scanning the landscape for trees. So I'm drawn to them. Drawn. I mean, I can't help it. Well, I can, but I can't. And I don't have to pick them, and sometimes I don't because I know it bothers my wife. But here's the question. What's your grapefruit tree? <laughs> what are the sin or sins that you're naturally drawn to? Paul says, look, don't let it control you. Don't let it give in. Don't give in to its desire. So, so he talks about this tension in our lives that we all have between the old life and the new life. And he's trying to tell us how to leave the old life behind so we can live a better, newer kind of life. And then he uses the analogy of being a slave. It's kind of interesting. I want to show it to you, 616. Paul says, don't you know that you are a slave? Every one of us, Christians or not. But you are a slave to the one whom you obey, whether you are a slave to sin, which leads to death, or a slave to obedience that leads to life. He says, you and I are, are slaves of, of sorts. Every one of us. We're a slave to something, either to sin or death, he says, or obedience in life. And he says, there's no in between. Now, now think about this, gang. If you're a slave, if you're an actual slave, you are not free to come and go as you please because you are bound to someone. You are bound to something. And he says, there's only two options. You're either a slave to sin and death or you're a slave to obedience and life. So I was thinking about my, my message here and I thought, what are some of these sins? Because I think some people don't know what sin, sin is. The Bible's real clear about what sin is. In fact, in Galatians 5.19, Paul says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. They're obvious, and so he gives a list. I want to show you this list in Galatians 5, 19. Just a partial list. And the first one, he always starts out with is sexual immorality. And by the way, the biblical definition of sexual immorality is, at the very least, sex before marriage or outside of marriage. It's very least. He always starts with that. So sin and death, impure thoughts. What's your thought life like? Hostility quarreling, jealousy, lying, just being dishonest, outbursts of anger. Is this you? Drunkenness, wild parties. Not this last word, he says strife. I don't even know what the word means. But I think it means just, ooh. I'm just, ooh. it's just strifeful. It's just hostile. It's just, my life stinks, okay? 
It's just not going. It's just strife. And it's all this stuff. And it's just strife. It's university campuses in America. It's our American culture, isn't it? Right there. So he says, this is, these are the things that, that lead to sin and death. This is, these are the obvious things that belong to the sinful nature. But then two verses down, he, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But if God is in your life, he says, these are the things that are godlike and are good. Obedience in life. These are the things that lead to obedience in life. He says, love, joy, peace. Some of us know this list. Kindness. By the way, do you have joy in your life? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, happiness, self-control, generosity. And I added a couple more from other texts. Relational wholeness. Financial wellness. You're not filled with greed. You don't have to overspend. You're not driven by what somebody else has. But you're just, you got that together. And just contented living. Contented living. Now what a lot of people do is say, well, you know, I, I don't want to be enslaved to sin and death. I mean, that doesn't sound real good. But I, I don't want to be completely enslaved to obedience in life. I mean, I just want to have enough of God to keep me out of the ditch. But I also want to have a little fun. I want to sin a little bit. And so I thought about this. And so what people do is they, they try to live in the middle of this thing. A little bit of God, a little bit of sin. And I think this is what the middle looks like, by the way. Three nights in Vegas, yeah, you know. Some of you are like, oh, how did he know? I'm not going to go all the way. We're just going to have some fun. I'm married, but you know, just going to have a little emotional affair, soft porn. Jason Strand tossed this one in third base. White lies. You know, once a month in church, that's good. I'm not going to go overboard. Unresolved conflict. I've got this tension with somebody, but we're just going to, you know, I'm just going to feed it. Just the whole bar scene, even when you're married, just girls' night out, whatever. I mean, 50 shades darker. Gang, let me tell you something about this. You cannot watch movies like this. And expect your mind and your soul to be filled with life. It will affect you. This, what happens here is people who live here inevitably tip into the sin and death. And here's the problem with the middle. Here's the problem. The middle is absolutely miserable if you try to live there. The most miserable person on the planet is the person who says, I want to be a Christian and be good with God, but I also want to be selfish, greedy, lustful, indulgent, get back at those who hurt me, and party whenever I want. After all, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Most miserable person on the planet who's trying to be a Christian and follow Christ, but also is in the middle with all these other things. Because what happens in Vegas, here's the truth, doesn't stay there. It follows you home. The gambling, partying, and cheating follows you all the way home in the form of regret, depression, financial, and relational loss. Now, gang, if you're not a Christian here today, and you're a slave to sin, I mean, that's the life you've chosen, you probably really don't care 
I mean, you don't feel a lot of guilt over this because it's just your lifestyle. There's, there's no God factor in your life. It's killing you. It's killing your integrity, family, and future. It will eventually, but you're really not bothered that much by guilt because you don't have the God factor in your life. On the other hand, if you are a Christian, the middle is the most miserable place you can possibly be because if you try to live with a little bit of God and a little bit of sin, you will be the most conflicted, guilt-ridden, defeated person on earth. Which means we go back to what Paul says, it's either one or the other. You're either a slave to sin and death or obedience in life. Now let's say you're going to be devoted to following and serving Christ. That means you're going to be a slave to obedience. You're going to be bound and devoted to obedience. And that sounds like a real drag, but hang with me on this. It doesn't mean you can't hunt, fish, and play golf. Thank God. You can do all, these, all those things only, here's the thing, only you do it without sinning, okay? You can still go nuts over March Madness, which I do every year. You can still work out, enjoy food, and load up your carry-on with grapefruit and stick it in the overhead bin and bring it home, which is what I do all the time. I just load my, I load my, you know, most people put clothes in their carry-on, I put, and it's so good. I, my son said, Dad, you know you can buy that for 12 bucks at Cub. And I said, yeah, but it's not free. Millennials. I just don't get them. I just, you know what I mean? So I bring grapefruit home in my carry-on because you can do that. That's, you're free to do that. But if you're a Christian and a slave to obedience, you are not free to do certain things. You're not free to go, go to certain places, be with certain people, or view certain websites. Gang, as your pastor, I am not free to be dishonest or full of anger or cheat on my wife. There are certain things I am simply not free to do. But not because I'm a pastor mainly, but because I'm a Christian devoted to obeying and following Christ. And guess what? as I choose to follow him and obey him and live in the right-hand column, you know what God does? He blesses me. He, he fills me with his goodness and protection and wisdom. And it's just amazing. I can't, I can't even describe to you the amazing things that God pours into a person's life who follows him obediently. And all this leads to a question. You know, why bother to choose a life of obedience over a life of sin? You know, sin is so easy. Why bother with obedience? And here, here's the answer, because sin always leads to death. He says, when you were slaves to sin, You are free from any control. No constraints on your life. Do whatever you want. Free to go, do, consume, watch, indulge. Free to do whatever you want. But what was the result of that? From the things you're now ashamed of, those things always, always result in death. Again, the result of sin is always some sort of death. 
Doesn't matter if it's big or little. And as you, as you look at this list, I want to show you the list again. As you look at this list, I mean, all of us want this, don't we? We want love in our life. We want to be joyful. We want to have peace. We want happiness. We want to be self. We want to be relationally whole and financially well. We just want to be content. We want this. Most of us, don't we? Then you've got to get rid of this. You can't live in the left-hand column and expect life to go well. You might think those things on the left lead to happiness, but they don't. Those things ultimately lead to some sort of death. Maybe not right away, but eventually they all do. So I want to ask all of you a question. Is there anything that's dying around you? Because that's how you can tell. If I'm living on this side or that side, is there anything that's dying in you because sin leads to death? Is your joy dying or dead? How are your relationships? Are they, are they on the up? Or are they suffering constantly and just kind of dying a slow death? How about your family? How about your devotion to prayer and worship? If things are dying around you, that's because of some sort of sin. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants a life where everything's dying around them. But that means you are simply not free to go do, consume, spend, or indulge in whatever you want. You need to become, to use Paul's words, a slave to obedience. There's, there are some constraints that you invite into your life. Alex Honnold is an extreme climber, which means he climbs without the use of ropes or gear. It's insane. It's called free soloing. Alex is kind of the king of this. Holds world records in places like Half Dome and El Capitan in Yosemite. I've read all about Alex's life. He's, he's a different breed, obviously. Other climbers like Dan Osman took free soloing in a different direction and Dan would summit a climb and then he would launch himself off a cliff with only a rope that was attached to his belt that was attached to another rope that was hanging across the canyon. No wingsuit, no parachute, just a rope. And I watched several of Dan Osman's launches on, on YouTube and it's just, it's unbelievable. You know, people asked him if he had a death wish. And he said, not at all. He said, I just want to feel the rush, and here's the phrase, I just want to feel the rush of falling without constraints. Falling without constraints. But then I came to a video that was entitled The Late Extreme Climber, Dan Osman, and I was sick to my stomach. As I watched Dan fall to his death, leaving his four-year-old daughter fatherless because his rope frayed, it snapped, and that was it. Because a life without constraints, so key, always leads to death, some sort of death. Paul wrote it this way, he said, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness, free to do whatever you want, but what was the result of that kind of freedom? Those things result and some kind of death. He says, look, if you're a Christian, there are certain constraints on your life. It means you are not free to go to certain places, do certain things, and be with certain people. You are simply not free to do whatever you want because if you do, things will start to die. But that leads to one more question. 
And I'm going to deal with this next week in a, in a really uh, more in-depth way. I, I can't wait for next week. But here's the question. How can we win the battle? How can we win the battle over sin? We all still sin. I do, you do, none of us are perfect. We are not sinless, but how can we sin less? That's the question. Well, the first part of the answer is you gotta stay out of the middle. You gotta avoid the middle like the plague. But look at this final verse. Don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey, keyword, whatever you choose to obey, becomes your master. We still sin, but it doesn't have to become our master. And the key word is obey. Obedience to the things on the right-hand side weakens the grip of the things on the left-hand side. One of the things I do when I'm on vacation is I buy a week-long pass to a local gym so I can work out. Not because I like to. I, I intensely dislike it. But I practice that kind of obedience because I know that obedience leads to life and muscles. So I'm told. <laughs> Although I'm not, well, yeah, I'm bad. So I was on vacation just recently, but there I was on a Monday morning inside a dumpy gym on the elliptical machine that I absolutely hate. And it was one of those days, one of those mornings when my body just felt terrible, felt like didn't doing it. In fact, 20 minutes into it, I thought, you know, I really hate this. It's hard, it's painful, I think I could actually die right here. And then I said to myself, Bob, do you really think you're gonna die on the elliptical machine? And, and I knew I probably wouldn't die so if I spent 30 minutes on the elliptical machine, so I made it to 29 minutes, one minute left, and it was torture. I'm just counting the seconds of this last minute. Can I make it? Can I make it? Can I make it? And that final minute, I really did want to die. But I pushed through because I know that that kind of obedience keeps me from being pathetic and lazy and soft. Gang, obedience isn't always easy, but it's what weakens the grip of sin on my life. It's what keeps me in the right column of love, joy, peace, self-control. It keeps my marriage intact, my health, my family, and my career obedience. So I've thrown a lot at you today. Let me just give you a brief summary, and we're going to show a video, and we'll be done. You know, number one, we all have a choice. Every single day, we are making a choice between sin and death and life and obedience. Every single day, we, we make this choice. Second, every choice leads to a predictable outcome, either death and dying or life and living, every single choice that we make. Third, the middle is miserable. The middle will eventually lead you to the left-hand column of sin and death every single time. You've got to get out of the middle. And finally, all of us, no matter who we are or what we've done, can begin a new life. I hope you know this. God loves every single person here. God loves you and knows all about what's going on. He loves you and so do I. The reason why we built this church, the reason why we do what we do is because we care about the lives of every single person and you can make a decision today if you haven't already to leave the old life behind and begin a new
But the truth is, some of you are trying to live in the middle because that's where culture urges you to try to live. Gang, I'm telling you, it's the reason you're frustrated. It's the reason you're unhappy and can't seem to gain traction if you're living in the middle. But today, you can leave that. You can pray a prayer and make a choice for obedience in life. You can be done with the old. And that's why last weekend was was so impactful to me. Because 983 people said, I am done with the old life. I want to bury it in a watery grave. I'm going to step into the waters of baptism. I'm going to do this act of obedience and trust that God will put me on a different path. So what we're going to do today is close with a video of a 22-year-old girl who last weekend said, I want to bury this old life in a watery grave. I want to begin anew. It was 12.30 at Lionel Lake Sunday morning, half hour past church. I mean, we never do that. But 12.30, and people were still getting baptized. But then someone said, wait, 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 there's one more. And she's waiting for her dad to come to church to see her get baptized. And so we want to show you two minutes, the baptism of Kaylee, who last weekend made the choice for obedience in life. Watch this. So we have one more. And I can't, I can't help but think about the parable of the lost coin, you know, uh, or a big church. And it's easy to lose sight of individuals when it's a huge room of people. But we're here right now waiting for one more. And I think it is a testimony to how God loves each of us uniquely. We all matter to God. And we love each person that walks through the doors of this church. And so we're going to stay and we're going to finish this strong. And I thank all of you for sticking around. gets old. Way to go, Kaylee. I love what Matt said, that God is the God of the one more. Love that. God is the God of the one more. And he's always waiting. He's always waiting for that one to say, you know what, today's my day. I'm going to stop living the old life. I'm going to get out of that middle. And God, by your power and strength and grace in my life, I'm going to be a different person. So I just want to pray for all of you. And you can begin that walk toward Christ today if you haven't done it until now. So at all campuses, let's just stand for closing prayer. I just want to pray for you. Let's stand together.
You know, during prayer, we are speaking to, to the God who created us. And he's here by his spirit. And this God is powerful to save. This God is powerful to heal. He can remove any and all sin. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what you're struggling with. God loves you. God wants your life to go well. And so let me just pray if you'd like to take a new step today. Let's just pray together. Father, thanks so much for your love for us. Thank you for giving us this choice. God, we are all sinners, every one of us. Me too. And so right now, right here, Lord, we just quietly, privately confess and identify that sin that we're continually drawn to. That grapefruit tree that just can't seem to help. God, we confess that to you. We ask your forgiveness in the quietness of this moment. Lord, set us free from the sin that we struggle with. And God, I pray that we will all, believer or unbeliever, that we will all take new steps of obedience toward you so that we can live a new and better life. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.